Coming up on Stu Does America, Joe Biden's new infrastructure plan gives new meaning to the word bloated and also the words partisan and silly pants. I'll be speaking with Michael Hendricks from the Manhattan Institute about the liberal wish list contained in the bill. And Pelosi versus the squad. Can the new ragtag team of progressive politicians take on the wizened old battle tank? That is Nancy Pelosi. With a little luck, they'll all destroy each other's careers. Mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi sucks, by the way. Nancy Pelosi sucks mug. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. That Nancy Pelosi sucks t-shirt as well. We get hold of all of those things at stewdoesmerch.com. By the way, welcome back. Beautiful new week of Stew Does America, especially since it's Power Hour week. Yes, this is the week. You don't want to miss it. Find out more about my uh, stupid Power Hour on my Instagram page, at Stew Does America, and give me a quick follow while you're at it. The link in the bio takes you to all the places you can stream this show completely free. And consider a subscription to Blaze TV this week. Just head to blazetv.com slash stew. Enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. The clash between police and a congregation in Canada continues to escalate. And you can be sure we'll be seeing stuff like this here in the States soon enough. So let's do the church crackdown. Stew does America. You know, Sunday morning comes around from time to time and I wake up and I think to myself, I don't want to get out of this lovely bed. You know, getting to church on Sundays, sometimes it's not the easiest thing in the world. You know, you want to have a nice breakfast, want to kind of just sleep as long as possible, kind of and then, you know, certain times then football starts and you got to watch all that. So priorities are really in order in my life, as you can tell. Uh, it's interesting, though, when you think about church, those days that are tough to get up and go to church. And then you see uh, times where people aren't even allowed to go to church. This, of course, happens all over the world all the time. We see people being rescued from China, from uh, the, the Nazarene Fund in the Middle East, rescued thousands and thousands of Christians uh, who were at the knife point of ISIS. Uh, because of you and you donating money to that cause. People in North Korea, people in China, people all over the world. Russia is a huge part uh, cracking down on Christians right now. All this goes on, and I can't really get out of bed, you know, because it's I'm so tired. It's so warm under the covers. What is it with that? It's impossible to get out of bed. So when you see what's going on in Canada right now, there's a part of you that says, you know, I really... It really helps you, I don't know, maybe put it into perspective that, number one, it's not just Russia and North Korea and China. It can happen in a place that's pretty similar to here. And secondarily, it kind of reminds you, you should probably try to get up for church on Sunday. Just saying. Uh, so the, the church in uh, Canada that has been making a lot of news uh, so far uh, has had a bunch of issues recently. Let me give you up to speed as to where we are. Uh, over the last nine months, uh, the health department in, in Canada has fielded more than 100 complaints about Grace Life Church, conducted 18 inspections. 18 inspections of one church, resulting in multiple fines and orders to comply. The pastor was arrested and spent a month in jail, refusing the conditions of bail that he agreed to follow health regulations. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, uh, which represents Grace Life and its uh, pastor, James Coates, I don't know how many constitutional freedoms they actually have in Canada, but at least this organization is trying to make them count for something. They said they moved to barricade, the move to barricade the private church property prevents citizens from exercising their charter freedoms of peaceful assembly, association, and worship. Of course, that's blatantly, obviously true. 
And you put a fence around it, you don't let people meet. Well, it's been an issue. They started meeting in, in private, in secret, basically. They're like on the run to go to church, and you won't get up. And neither will I. Uh, but, you know, the, the blanket's really warm. I mean, I, I can't blame you on that one. Police uh, vehicles uh, this weekend blocked entrances uh, to the parking lot of Grace Life Church in Edmonton Wednesday morning uh, and then temporarily uh, put up fencing that was erected around the building. They went to tear it down. The congregation has met normally since summer 2020. And I think that's an important part of this. It's not as if they didn't listen to any of the COVID restrictions at all. I mean, this started in February and March. And they closed up until the summer. And finally, in the summer, they were like, all right, it's been months and months here where, you know, it's the, the virus uh, has, has, has decreased a little bit here. But the bottom line is we can't keep people out of church. They have a 15% capacity limit in Canada. And that's basically like the staff of the church. So really, you're at the point where almost no one could actually go. Um, we have some footage from uh, the moment, this is uh, late last week, where police came in to make sure this church didn't do any of its evil church services. And really, it's remarkable. Let's roll it. Uh, you see a line of police coming in. I mean, what is it? 100, 200 police officers coming to shut down one church? They're all over the place. People are trying to figure out what's going on. They're talking about potential pepper spray. 200 cops now. 200 cops. The police. We're at close to 200 cops now. Gas masks, visors and stuff. Gas masks for gas. That the police are here. 200 cops and a helicopter. 40 vehicles for one church. A helicopter, 200 cops, 40 vehicles for one church. I mean, just watching that video reminds you, number one, the police, uh, I don't know what they're they're doing. They're, these these regulations are completely ridiculous and they're totally overreacting. And number two, I'm so glad I am nowhere near snow anymore because that is a miserable life. No wonder people want. I can't believe anyone gets out to church in Edmonton. It looks cold there all the time. Uh, I. I'm, it's fascinating to watch that because that does not look like that could happen in North America. That looks like something that would happen in some sort of dictatorship or some, some sort of anti-Christian uh, country. But this is Canada. This is just our neighbors to the north. Um, this is the CBC is, of course, their big news agency there. How are they covering this? Well, uh, unfairly, I would argue. Uh, they say hundreds of people demonstrated Sunday outside of a shuttered Grace Life Church west of Edmonton. The crowd began gathering along the road adjacent to the church sun early Sunday morning as hymns played over loudspeakers. Demonstrator demonstrators carried signs with a variety of messages. Some decrying vaccines, public health restrictions, and communism. Now, look. First of all, I have no problem with you opposing communism. I think it's delightful. You should definitely oppose communism. I'm 100% on board on that. Um, when it comes to uh, denouncing public health restrictions, well, the, yeah, I mean, that's a big issue with what they're dealing with right there, right? There are, of course, they're upset that they can't go to church. That's the whole controversy. And like, you know, highlighting people who decry vaccines, as you know, I am the uh, most pro-vaccine person in the United States of America. I am very excited about vaccines. Uh, I don't know why it's even relative, re relative to the story at all. What, what, rela what relation is it to the story to talk about one person who has a vaccine sign there?
uh, they, they seem to go out of their way to highlight the, uh, the, the, the signs that looked like they could get some mileage out of it. Um, there was a tense uh, moment around noon during this protest. There's about a thousand people there. Uh, a tense protest uh, as people were very, very upset, of course. Uh, at one point, we saw the protesters go to tear down the fence. Now, it's interesting because uh, it's hard. These sides are reversed here to what we're used to in the United States. You know, Donald Trump was talking about building a wall the entire time, but not around a church on the border. The left was like, you can't build a wall on the border. Build it around a church. I don't understand how these things work. But the counter protesters at this rally were chanting at the protesters yelling that they wanted the fence to actually stay up. Watch. Leave the fence alone! 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 The world would be a much better place if we could just import their counter-protesters down to our southern border. And then, a lot of these problems would be solved. Uh... Faith services are allowed uh, to continue in Alberta, 15% capacity, but that is pretty much uh, what it is. Uh, they, they have been breaking the order of 15% for the past few months. And how long is this supposed to I- extend? I mean, uh, forever? Are they ever able to go back to church? Do people in Canada just always get to stay under the covers every Sunday morning and stay warm? Is that the way this works? The reason I bring this story up, and obviously it's important, you know, Canada is an ally of ours. Of course, they have, uh, you know, baseball's greatest baseball team, the Toronto Blue Jays, America's team, as you know. Uh, there's plenty of reasons to care about what goes on in Canada, mainly because it's such a similar society to us. You know, I mean, I, certainly they have, they're more liberal than we are, but uh, there's a lot of similarities there. And I think a lot of times when we see problems that are all the way in Canada, you wonder how close they are to here. The reason I bring this up is because it gives us a moment to reflect on how important our Constitution is. We talk about constitutional rights all the time. What do they mean? People just hear us saying, oh, these sort of old-timey, dusty documents and people with the white wigs on. And, and, you know, you go back to wooden teeth land where everyone was uh, old-timey and they all had muskets. And what does that mean to today? Well, this is what it means to today. You know, Canada does not have the types of protections, at least that are uh, upheld in any real meaningful way that we do here. We have religious freedom here. And there have been incidents in the United States where these things have gone on. In fact, Gavin Newsom uh, actually banned in-home Bible studies uh, for people in California. But the difference here is we have a constitution and we have a relatively sane Supreme Court that looks at the constitution and tries to analyze it. And we saw that in action last week in a story you may have missed because it didn't make a lot of news. It makes a lot of news when evil people decide to go to work or decide to go to church or decide to go to, business, to school when they're not supposed to. But when later on, months down the road, years down the road in some cases, we realize that what, what happened back in the day was unconstitutional, there's not a lot of attention that gets paid to it. In another late night ruling, however, the Supreme Court on Friday, Friday night, blocked another coronavirus uh, restriction in California on religious gatherings, saying the state's limits on home-based Bible study and prayer sessions violated constitutional rights. The five to four order, think of how slight, Uh, This margin is the five to four order uh, on an emergency petition illustrates how a new majority on the court 
with Justice Amy Coney Barrett playing a decisive role, is now in control when the court con considers if pandemic-related restrictions cross the line to endanger religious rights. Let's take a moment to remember our notorious ACB t-shirt because Amy Coney Barrett on the right side of this issue. Uh, a really important um, uh, elevation to the Supreme Court for Amy Coney Barrett that was worth uh, every ounce of sw blood, sweat, and tears that were put into it to get her on the court because, you know, she's making an obviously correct choice here. Constitutional protections are implicated anytime the state treats any comparable secular activity more favorably than religious exercise, the majority wrote. It is no answer that a state treats some comparable secular businesses or other activities as poorly or even less favorably than the religious exercise as, at issue. So, you know, again, faith, religion, religious expression has constitutional benefits. It's the, it's the more protected, it's more sacred in our society than a normal business. Opening up, you know, some liquor store instead of a church and, and restricting the church and not the liquor store is not right. Here, uh, they're talking about gatherings. In this case, the majority said gatherings of more than three households were banned at prayer meetings in homes, even though California permits hair salons, retail stores, professional care services, movie theaters, private suites at sporting events and concerts and indoor restaurants to bring together more than three households at a time, which makes no sense. Uh, the uh, correct side of this uh, ruling was Amy Coney Barrett, as we mentioned, Judge Clarence Thomas, of course. He's just always on the right side of these things. Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh. Of course, Justice Roberts, a gigantic catastrophe uh, as a justice right now. He said the court uh, should not have granted the emergency petition challenging the restrictions, but did not explain his reasoning. The First Amendment requires a state to, really, uh, to treat religious conduct as well as it treats comparable sec secular conduct, according to Elena Kagan. The law does not require uh, that, that the state treat equally apples and watermelons, as they put it. This is now the fifth time the fifth time the court has summarily rejected the Ninth Circuit's analysis of California's COVID restrictions on religious exercise five times throughout this process. You know, if you heard me doing any of the interviews I've done with Jeremy Dice, who's a religious freedom uh, expert and attorney uh, here in, uh, in Dallas, I have asked him this pretty much every time he's been on. He's probably sick of it. I almost gave him COVID when he came in here when I had it. But when I ask him this question, I, I really, I, I'm really earnest on it because Things like this are important. You know, was there, is there a huge difference in, you know, a home Bible study occurring or not for a few families in California, maybe even dozens of families, hundreds of families in California? I mean, it's, it's important to them, but bigger than this is they can't be doing this next time. These cases have to go and wind their way through the court system so that we, a very strong message can be sent. This happened with FDR. He put a bunch of stuff in that was unconstitutional. Some of it took years to unwind, but eventually it, it, it did happen. And that was really important so that he couldn't do that in the future and no future president would be able to do it so easily either. The same thing is happening here. These COVID restrictions, I believe almost all of them are unconstitutional, but certainly the ones surrounding individual constitutional rights like freedom of expression, the Second Amendment as well, uh, freedom of religion, all of these things are really, really important and they can't be limited uh, for any extended period of time, not a day longer than you absolutely have to. And there is some backing in the courts to, to protect very short um, emergency sort of uh, areas where 
maybe you could prevent church for a very short period of time. Um, but this can't last. And the, the Supreme Court was there. And I ask you, as we go through this and we start worrying about all of these, uh, these freedoms going away, think about your Constitution, which is protecting you here once again. And thank God these justices were put in, um, many, uh, two of them under Donald Trump, uh, where we have a, a court that's at least sane enough to realize a protected constitutional right cannot be taken away by edict of a guy who looks like the guy from American Psycho. What kind of sense does that make? You can't take a guy who basically looks like he was in the movie, American Psycho, listening to Huey Lewis and slaughtering people for no reason. You can't give that guy uh, veto rights over your faith. I mean, that should be a basic constitutional understanding. We all need to get back to the time where church was open, where we were able to go to it, and we chose to stay under the covers on Sunday morning. I'm happy to welcome to the program Michael Hendricks. He's the director of state and local policy for the Manhattan Institute, as well as contributor for City Journal. You can read his latest piece there. It is American Bloat Plan. The Biden infrastructure bill is a Democratic wish list of wasteful spending. Michael, thanks for coming on the program. It's good to be with you. Uh, you know, there's the, the Lego movie it has the song Everything is Awesome. This is everything is infrastructure. I mean, literally anything you can come up with apparently is infrastructure. How do they justify this? Well, they justify it by saying that uh, infrastructure is changing. So now they're saying whatever you thought of in an old fashioned sense was infrastructure. Let's say roads, highways, bridges. That's just six percent of the plan. But the rest of it is going to be for the clean economy, the care economy. A quarter of the plan is for caring for aging families. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not what I traditionally think of as infrastructure. They come right back at you and say, no, that's human infrastructure. I don't know. I think they're being kind of loose with the definition. <laughs> it does seem like one of the big plans on so many of these things from the left in particular is to just expand the definition of the words. They know infrastructure is a word that generally tests well with the American people. So if you could just start counting other things as infrastructure, maybe they'll come along for the ride. That's right. What are, what are words these days? Really, <laughs> they're just whatever gets a bill passed, whatever Democrats want, they will pick a word that polls well, infrastructure polls really well, and Americans want more infrastructure. That's certainly true. And they say, great. Now we'll call everything infrastructure. And it doesn't just stop with caring for aging parents. Maybe that's something you like, you don't like. Again, I don't think it's traditionally infrastructure, but it has AOC's Citizen Climate Corps. And it, by the way, puts more money toward those kind of programs, a union-backed jobs program, than it does something that maybe has enormous gains in human welfare, like cleaning up lead pipes. These union-backed union jobs programs get far more money than these traditional forms of infrastructure that may make more of an impact. Yeah, it really is interesting how, because this traditional debate between the left and the right, right, where, you know, just, just broadly generalizing here, the left cares about everybody, but they want to spend so much money. And the right doesn't care about anybody, but they, but they want to keep uh, us more fiscally sound. Well, they're, they can, they're not even, the left isn't even holding up that end of the bargain. They want to spend all the money, but the money's not even going to do the most, uh, to the most effective programs that could actually help people in need. Yeah, if you actually read the plan, it has dollar figures, it has jobs figures, but it doesn't actually talk about outcomes. And it doesn't tell you how it's going to ensure that the money is well spent. Basically, what this plan is intending to do is pour trillions of dollars through some of those bloated 
cost structures on earth, our transit agencies, our healthcare agencies. And maybe you say you want that kind of spending, fine. But how are you going to make sure that it actually results in more transit that you want or better healthcare outcomes? It says it's going to follow global best practices, but I'm not sure that prevailing wage and some of the other union schemes are in any sense a global best practice. Uh, Michael, what do you think about the actual state of our actual infrastructure? Let's go back in time a little bit. Let's use the old definition of this word, the old roads and bridges. Every president I've ever seen says they're all crumbling. Our roads and bridges are always crumbling. I mean, I've driven all over the country, you know, if we travel a decent amount. I mean, I'm not saying that everything looks perfect all the time, but this vision they paint of this country, of this like dystopia, I, I don't actually recognize it. Right. So across the country, there are certainly bridges that are crumbling, roads filled with potholes. We probably have all driven on those kind sure. of roads and they need to be fixed. But if you actually look at outcomes, so traffic per se, America is decidedly middle of the road in traffic. Now, maybe we want to not be middle of the road. Maybe we want to have some of the cleanest and clearest traffic in the world. Fine. But I'm not sure that this plan will get us there. The point is, though, what actually needs to be fixed is real and we, we actually have to question if it will fix it. <laughs> right. It doesn't seem like that's ever that's ever a part of the analysis. You know, it, it comes to this thing where they do this instead of doing a cost benefit analysis. It's just a benefit analysis. They just figure out like, well, right. this would be good if in theory it happened. Let's just throw money at it and hope it does. That's not the way to form a, a public policy, particularly when you only have 50 senators. That's right. So any plan like this, we as taxpayers should always ask, is there any kind of cost benefit analysis associated with it? And again, no, the costs are very clear. The benefits are in the form of jobs. And none of the benefits that are actually penciled out in this plan relate to anything that anyone might call infrastructure, whether it's the old definition or the new definition. We should demand that this money be well spent if it is to be spent. And it should actually be targeted at what we traditionally consider to be infrastructure. And we should make sure that it actually pencils out and get, gets where it needs to go. I mean, only 6% is a, is a remarkable number. I mean, I, you know, you, is, are, is that being stretched at all from the right? Is the right saying, you know, can we include another 10 or 20% that is fringe infrastructure? Is there anything in there that pops into that other 94% that's at least questionable? Well, sure. I mean, if you look beyond just roads, highways, bridges, you know, we've often thought of as water as being, you know, water yeah. and pipes as being part of infrastructure too. maybe maybe housing as well. So at that point, you're roughly getting about third of the plan. What we should do in that third of the plan is say, you know, let's do more on uh, water and clean water, safe water and less on, say, public housing. They're proposing $40 billion in public housing. Uh, folks like AOC are saying that's not enough. We need more like $70 billion in public housing. And, you know, I guarantee you that the Democrats are going to try to give them that $70 billion. I think we should say no. It should actually go toward – it should be spent more wisely on getting people into – giving maybe even giving people vouchers, getting people into housing in the free market and make it fairer, freer and fairer and just maybe uh, jettison the rest. Um, okay, so this is where all the money is theoretically going, but where is it coming from? How are they paying for this? Because it seems to me they're just doing a bunch of accounting tricks to actually pay for this program. 
That's right. So they propose uh, at least 15 years worth of taxation to pay for eight years worth of spending. And even that's a bit of a trick. So the 15, the eight years of spending is temporary, but the 15 years of tax revenue that they're counting for is permanent. Mm -hmm. And this is in the form of permanent jobs killing corporate tax hikes that will make America less competitive and ship jobs and even intellectual property overseas. So if we think that that will actually make America more competitive, which President Biden has said is part of the reasoning for this plan to help us catch up with China, I think we should question whether this taxation scheme that comes with it is the right idea. And you know, really, this is just another part of the infrastructure plan that is not infrastructure. Corporate taxes are not infrastructure. And it makes it even more mind-boggling when you consider that there's more private sector money being willing to be spent on municipal bonds, on other forms of infrastructure bonds than ever before in history. And yet we're still saying, no, we're going to do the job-killing tax hikes. <laughs> it really is amazing. Uh, Michael, how did we get here? I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember uh, you know, Barack Obama struggling mightily to keep his multiple early programs under $1 trillion. And here we are, we're only in April of the first year, and we're already looking at multiple $2 trillion plus policies with another one around the corner, supposedly. You know, have the American people just totally lost connection with these types of issues? Do they not care about finances anymore? I mean, once you start talking a trillion here and a trillion there, I guess you start talking real money. <laughs> and I think in the same way that we've stretched the definition of infrastructure, we've also lost all sense of what a trillion dollars even means. You know, right now we're on pace to be spending more uh, in just 12 months than we would have in the entire World War II spending that the American government engaged in. It's just astonishing. Mm. Now, maybe you can say our economy's bigger, fair. Maybe you can say that money is cheaper. That's also fair. But we also have to question whether it's wise. And I think that we've raised our debt to such astonishing levels, and someone will have to pay for it. Maybe it's not going to be us. Maybe it'll be our kids. But someone's going to have to pay for it, and the bill is going to come due. Are we going to be prepared for it? I think we have to question whether we can. There really is. Uh, it seems to be these issues really used to hit people at home with what you just said. You know, our kids are going to pay for it. Our grandkids are going to pay for it. That would, you know, at least imply a little bit of guilt to the average person who would want to step up and say, OK, don't spend that much. I saw a monologue from John Oliver from uh, I think it was a week ago or so where he basically made the argument. Your kids won't pay for it. No one's going to pay for it. You know, basically the modern monetary theory argument. Uh, we are in a place where these these issues don't seem to move voters like they used to. And politicians, I think, are correctly picking up on that. Why is that happening? Well, that's right. I mean, if you look at polling on this infrastructure plan and even on the previous stimulus proposal, it was broadly popular with the American people. And in one sense, you can't blame them. Who doesn't like free money just being <laughs> handed out, yeah. right? I mean, you can even talk to leaders in states and they'll say, we shouldn't be engaging in this kind of egregious spending. Don't tax us. But the moment the money comes, they say, well, I think we can do something with that. <laughs> All right. So the point is we need wiser, cooler heads to prevail and say, no, we need to spend within our means and we need to spend wisely. Mm. I mean, I think, too, there was 
at some level, the COVID situation brought in an era where everyone understood, you know, look, we're closing everybody's businesses. What are we going to do? There's going to be some extra pay spending. We kind of all understood that. But I think underlying all of this, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, there, there's always been this sort of natural push and pull between the left and the right, where the left would say, well, let's spend more. The right would say, eh, I don't want to spend that much. Maybe when the right got in power, there was a little bit less of that uh, intensity on uh, holding back spending. But in the Trump era in particular, he really did not put a lot of emphasis on controlling spending. He cared about a lot of other things. He did some things that I really liked, but he just didn't seem to care about this whatsoever. And the Republican Party, I think, saw that and moved with with him and the voters in that direction. And now there's no more push and pull. I mean, it really seems like we're in this hole where there's no party representing this like idea of spending within our means. You're, you're absolutely right. And you're absolutely right, too, that covid was really telling. We sent checks directly to people. It worked. We did a stimulus plan that was quick, fast. Federal Reserve also stepped in with enormous amounts of lending, backstopping the entire economy. And it more or less worked. And so we said, well, if it worked, well, let's just keep doing it. Well, there's something as as too much of a good thing. And I think that that's basically where we are now. And, you know, I think there's also uh, Donald Trump should get credit for cutting taxes. President Biden intends to raise taxes. But nevertheless, when you're cutting taxes and increasing spending, still someone's going to have to pay the bill. And again, I think we're in a point now where we just don't have any sense of what spending within our means even means. <laughs> That's very true. All right, last one before I let you go, Michael. I, I ask this to everybody I talk to about the budget and numbers. Brian Riedel, you're uh, over at Manhattan Institute as well. I always uh, pester him with this question. We say all the time on the right, there's got to be some limit of how much we can spend. At some point, we spent too much and we're crossing the line and really bad things are going to happen. Are we at that line? And do you have any idea where it is? You know, uh, many people across the years have tried to guess what that red line is or could be. And the truth is, we just don't know. And that's actually what the real risk is. So if there was just some magic number that we had to avoid as a share of debt compared to GDP, then maybe we'd actually be better off. We would say up to here, but no further, or maybe even not even reach that red line. But the point is, is that many, many parts of the world are willing to lend to us, um, Many parts of the world depend on the dollar for now. And so we just uh, we don't know where that red line is. And so we just keep trying to inch further and further, increase the debt higher and higher and just hope and pray for the best. Fingers crossed the, I don't think I trust our leaders enough that they will get to that line and not go any further. Uh, I think it'll come, if, if, if the end point comes, if disaster strikes, it'll come fast and furious, and we won't know how to respond. And so the, we should be cautious in that sense, and we should be wise, and make sure that if there is a red line that we should cross in terms of spending and debt, that we don't even get close to that point. I would love to see that be true. I'm afraid it's not. Uh, Michael Hendricks, he's the director of state and local policy for the Manhattan Institute. Be sure to catch his piece in the uh, City Journal. Uh, American bloat plan, the Biden infrastructure bill, is a Democratic wish list of wasteful spending. It's got all these great details in it, and I'll tweet it out uh, for sure tonight. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the program. Good to be with you. All right, back in a second. You know, the, the Hank Azaria thing is really starting to bother me. 
Uh, Hank Azaria, he's on The Simpsons, and he's a really talented guy. He's been doing this for a long time. Really funny guy. And at first, when people started saying, hey, the Apu character you voice is really bad, and you, you're, you're hurting you know, Indian Americans or something, uh, he, he, he blew it off. He said, I think correctly, like, what are you talking about? He's just, he's a lovable character. He's one of the most competent people on the show. Have you seen Homer? I, <laughs> I mean, this is clearly like not offensive. And he's now come around. They did a documentary that was released and some Indian American comedian said Apu was bad. And now that's become real. Like it's gone from completely nonsensical when the documentary was released. Now all of a sudden it's absolutely real. Azaria now has given up voicing the character and now is like, feels terrible about this character. Who's a lovable character that everyone loved uh, on the show. Um, uh, he was on a podcast and says um, he was speaking uh, at his son's school and talking to the Indian kids there because I wanted to get their input. A 17-year-old, he's never even seen The Simpsons, but he knows what Apu means. Isn't this the problem? You're listening to a guy who's never seen The Simpsons? Is there a person in existence that has never seen The Simpsons? What do you mean you've never seen The Simpsons? And then he's the one that's going to give input on the character? Someone who's never seen it? Don't we, I, this is transparently nuts. We do realize this, right? Um, he says, uh, he says, I really do apologize, Azaria says. Uh, it's important. I apologize for my part in creating that and participating in that. Part of me feels like I need to go to every single Indian person in this country and personally apologize. And sometimes I do. Well, first of all, you've never apologized to every individual uh, Indian American. And you shouldn't. It's ridiculous. Although I am getting more and more motivated by the day to go back through Brockmire, the show that Hank Azaria started, starred in, and watch it and just pull all the offensive things. Because he says terrible things all over the place in that series. They're a million times worse than anything Apu has ever said, and no one cares at all. It's the same person saying more offensive things. Uh, I, I don't understand what the double standard is. It's completely ridiculous. A cartoon character can be voiced by anybody, okay? Does it matter? This is an insane standard that we're going down, but of course this is the way it's going to go. And, and truth doesn't matter anymore. Will Smith had a movie apparently um, going on in Georgia. He's pulled production out of a new, uh, from a new film called uh, Emancipation. It was a slave drama, runaway slave drama called Emancipation. He's pulled it from Georgia. We cannot in good conscience provide economic support to a government that enacts regressive voting laws that are designed to restrict voter access. Here's your first problem. You're filming a movie in Georgia. You should not look at it as giving economic support to a government. That's not, what, that's not what business is. That's not how it works. This is the problem with, with progressives. This is how they view everything. Oh gosh, which government are we going to support with our actions? Look, forget about the government for a second. Who you have no control over. You know who does have control over it? Voters. Voters who, by the way, in 2020, all voted your way will. Uh, so yes, there's still Republicans in control of the state and they pass some voting restrictions. We've gone over the entire thing. When I say voting restrictions, they're not restrictions as compared to what Georgia used to be. They actually opened it up and loosened uh, uh, access and made it easier for people to vote uh, across the state. There's some things that are disagreement there, but most of them are lies as we've covered here. Uh, but forget that for a second. You know, we work in television here. Uh, I mean, a lot of the guys who work in television, the ladies, 
they work, I mean, it basically is a gig economy. I mean, it's a freelance economy in a lot of ways. People pick up these jobs. They work for two or three months, maybe six months, maybe four months, and then it's over. So they plan their whole life around these blocks of time when they work. Now you've just pulled out last second on them, not on Brian, the governor. It's not the governor you're screwing there. It's the people behind the scenes uh, who now won't get that paycheck. And you'll almost definitely be moving it from a majority uh, African-American area into one that isn't. So I don't know what you think you're helping here, but... Who knows? And we should also talk quickly about the 100 corporate executives uh, getting together uh, to halt donations and investments to fight controversial voting bills. This is incredible. In fact, this one I want to save for Wednesday for when Glenn is in here. He came back on radio. If you missed, uh, you want to go back to hour two where he talked about why he was out last week. It's a really tough story to hear, but it's something I think, you know, he wants you to connect with. Um, And uh, he's going to be back, I think, on the show here Wednesday. We'll see. Uh, But I would love to talk to him about this because this is the great reset in action. I mean, as overtly as you've seen it before, we'll get into that with him this week. Back in a second. It makes sense why people get life insurance, especially a term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay, pay, you know, a bit each month to protect the ones that you love? If you're asking this uh, question, you got to choose Ladder. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. You just need a few minutes and a phone call or a laptop to apply. Ladder's small, smart algorithms uh, work in real time, so you're going to find out if you're instantly approved. No hidden fees. You can cancel any time. And since life insurance costs more as you age, now's the time to cross it off your list. You've got to get the term insurance. You've got to have some sort of life insurance. If something happens to you, what's going to happen to your family? But you need to get the best price when you're going through it and the best coverage available. That's why Ladder exists. They do this better than anybody. Check out Ladder today. See if you're instantly approved. Go to ladderlife.com slash stew. L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash stew. Check it out now. Knock this off your list. Ladderlife.com slash stew. This week is Power Hour week. You don't want to miss it. It's a ridiculous night. It's coming up Friday night. We'll give you more details here coming up in a minute. Um, I should tell you this. Nancy Pelosi sucks. Here's the pen that proves it right here. It says Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. Nancy Pelosi sucks mug. We got it all right here for you. Uh, and uh, I will say that this, you might actually like her on this particular story, though. Uh, it's a book coming out called Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. She's basically complaining about the squad. The squad, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, always the victim, this time of Nancy Pelosi. You're not a one-person show, Nancy says. This is the Congress of the United States. Um, Pelosi took a place, uh, you know, uh, with these sort of comments uh, that she ran through, um, criticizing, um, you know, Cortez and Tlaib and Presley and Omar. Presley's, you know, Presley's got the famous rock name, you know, it's like Elvis's last name, kind of. You know, it's not exactly spelled the same way, but she's sort of the Ringo of the actual squad. That's how you remember. Um, uh, it's she, 10 interviews with Pelosi in this for this book. Um, and uh, they said their speakers uh, has a lot of anger at the four new progressive congresswomen. Uh, she says it was palpable, that anger. So we'll get into that. We should also tell you a little bit about Minnesota. There's obviously uh, more of a flare up there. Apparently another shooting where the, the officer 
shouted the word taser as if he was going to fire his taser, but mistakenly fired his gun instead. That's not the type of mistake you should make. Um, now, of course, everyone's going to say it's racism. There's no evidence at this point that it is racism, though it is incredibly unfortunate as far as timing uh, and you know the loss of human life here is really, really bad. Uh, there was an incident where, of course, as you'd expect now, this is what we're supposed to expect. People are just going to come out and ride in the streets after any shooting, whether it's justified or not. And we don't know this one. You know, it's too early to know for sure, though it looks pretty bad if that's the truth. He was trying to fire his taser and fired his weapon. That doesn't mean there's some, you know, systemic racism in police uh, in the police departments. But it is a terrible, terrible tragedy and an awful thing to do. I'm sure the officer feels terrible about it if that's the actual case. Anyway, uh, he was uh, the 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 police officers were trying to explain what was going on, talking about what was going on in the riots last night, and got a question about the riots. Was there really a riot? Watch. One final question. What was your decision to issue a dispersal order um, while they were peacefully protesting in front of the uh, police station? What, what led to you to issue a dispersal order and then on the back end of that 10 minute dispersal order, then to issue out uh, CO2 canisters and gas uh, for the crowd? So, Can you talk to us? Yeah, just so everybody's clear, I was front and, front and center at the protest, at the, at the riot. Um, we did not. It was a riot. Don't do that. There was no okay. riot. At there, there was. was. So I was, we were being, the officers that were putting themselves in harm's way were being pelted with frozen cans of pop. They were being pel pelted with concrete blocks. And yes, we had our helmets on and we had other protection gear, but an officer was injured, hit in the head with a brick. brick. That was a Hennepin County deputy. He was transported to the hospital. So we had to make decisions. We had to disperse the crowd because we can't allow our officers to be harmed. And I've already answered the question, I believe, about your lighting. I know that's a that's a big deal with you, and I understand that. But I thought I'd explain that myself. So that is, I told you, it's my decision, and that's why I made that decision. Is there another question? Yes, ma'am. So there you go. Basically, I love that. They're like, there wasn't a riot. He's like, my officers are getting hit in the head with bricks. I mean, there was no riot. I was there. None of that's acceptable, by the way. I thought maybe we should point that out. No one seems to want to note that, but not acceptable to throw frozen cans of soda uh, or concrete bricks at police officers. I don't care how upset you are. Not acceptable. Back in a second. When it comes to that situation in Minnesota, we don't know all the facts yet. We want to know, understand the facts and then we can decide how to react to it. Learn then protest. Learn, then protest. The order is important. You can go to learnthenprotest.com or studosmerch.com and get the uh, t-shirt to remind people around town. Uh, and then, you know, uh, nothing bad will happen to you. Everything's going to be fine. I'm not responsible if something does happen. By the way, I should point out for this Friday uh, is uh, Power Hour. Yes, the Power Hour is back. The Studios America 250th anniversary Power Hour. 250 episodes uh, have gone down the tubes. Uh, in, and I mean that literally in a lot of ways. Uh, so we're going to have a Power Hour. We've got uh, Sarah Gonzalez back. Chad Prather's back. I think Jason Buttrell is going to be on again. Lots of fun drinking games. Um, and... It gets really ridiculous the more and more we go and try to talk coherently about politics. You do not want to miss that. It's YouTube only this Friday night right after the show. Don't miss it. Uh, Colorado has looked to legalize human composting, which means your dead body could become garden soil. That sounds like a lot of fun, doing a lot of really good things in Colorado. I guess, does, does Major League Baseball now have to move their all-star game from Colorado? 
mean, they can't be playing baseball on a bunch of dead bodies. I don't know. We'll keep you updated.